0: Well, for the past few weeks, we have been working through Titus chapter 2. We've been considering uh, these qualities, these characteristics that should be present in the life of followers of Jesus. Qualities that, that aren't naturally inherent to who we are, uh, but qualities that are cultivated in us by the Holy Spirit. In other words, these are qualities that, that can be ours because of Jesus, because Christ works and lives in us. When He died, we died. When He rose, we rose to new life. And because of Jesus, we are qualified to live according to these things. And that's where that refrain of Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, has continuously come back on us that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. And that grace trains us to say no and to resist the flesh and it trains us as well to say yes to the things of the Spirit, in particular to these qualities. We're gonna be looking at that, those verses, Titus 2, 11 and 12, a little bit next week as we gather at Old Town Event Center. Where are we gathering next week? Okay, good, that's right, that's right, all right. <clears throat> so, over and over Paul makes the point that these Christ-like qualities being displayed in our lives are what, what draw people to Jesus. As they see these qualities, they are attractive and they are what distinguish us from the darkness of the world. This is what allows us to shine as lights in this world. And we've alluded to a couple passages uh, nearly in every sermon in Titus so far, but we're going to look at them really briefly. Matthew chapter 5, if you'll turn there with me, Matthew chapter 5, these are great passages for you to just have and consider. Matthew 5 verse 14, we're in Jesus' sermon on the mount. He's just getting started in his sermon here in Matthew 5 and verse 14. I'll give you just a moment to get there. Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. In a city that's set on a hill, it cannot be hidden and nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We let our light shine. We let the light of Christ shine through us so that they see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number two. 1 Peter chapter two. We're gonna look at verse nine and you you may put a marker here because we're gonna come back here in just a moment as well for another purpose. But 1 Peter chapter two verse nine Peter says this, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're his people, so that you can display, proclaim, manifest, reveal his excellencies to the world around you. And so far in Titus, we've we've talked about older men and those qualities that should be present in their life. What are they to display? Older women, what are they to display? Uh, Younger women and younger men, what are they to display in those particular character qualities? And today we're going to focus in on how we shine the light of Jesus in our places of employment. Now before we we dive in to how we should behave at work, one of the the first things you'll notice in, in Titus 2 and verse 9, which is where we'll be beginning today, is that it begins with the word slaves, or maybe bond slaves or servants, just depends on how it was translated. And so... Before we begin, I just want to address this particular issue of slavery that we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and this could be a lot of talking, but I'm going to try to make it as brief as I can. Much of the world during the Roman period in which Titus was written was enslaved. The Roman Empire had taken over country after country and nation after nation at this point, and some suppose that half, maybe even three-fourths of the population in many cities were actually slaves. They had been enslaved by the Roman Empire. Uh, Many of them still had certain freedoms and so when we think of biblical slavery, it's quite different than what we think of the slavery of our own nation's sordid history. it, it, it still, there was still corruption, there was still uh, poor slave owners and mistreatment that happened during the biblical times. But in some cases, slavery was something that someone would sell themselves into in biblical understanding. If you carried a great deal of debt and you needed to be out from under that debt, you might have a person pay off your debt and enslave yourself to them, to their service for 10 years, for 20 years, for whatever it would take for you to be able to pay off that particular amount of money that would be there. And so we have to understand the cultural distinctions that exist between biblical slavery and the slavery that comes to our mind uh, from our own history as a nation. But since by God's grace, slavery is no longer a part of our culture, I think we're free to apply this to what would be the next closest thing, and that would be our jobs, employment the people for which we work. How should a Christian employee treat their employer? How should they treat their place of employment? And we have to realize this, that that some of the, the greatest opportunities for us to shine as lights in this world will happen in the places that we work. Why is that? Because you spend a third of your life at that place. You spend a good deal of your time. Many of you, maybe most of you, spend more time, certainly during the week, with your coworkers than you do even your own family. That that time in the evening doesn't attain to that time of working eight, nine, ten-hour shifts that you work with the people around you. And so what difference are you making in the lives of those people that you work with? Notice Titus chapter 2, verse 9. Bond servants, that's that term, do slave, servant. they are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Paul here provides for us five character qualities that should distinguish the Christ follower in the workplace. And the first one is this, submissive to masters in everything. Now this term here is the idea of being subject to, often used in the military sense, to designate a soldier's relationship to a superior officer. And how is that distinguished? Many of you have military background, some currently serving. The relationship, it's not conditional. It's not an optional thing. It's an absolute, it's an inescapable thing. You are inferior to the superior. You submit yourselves to those over you. If you're a Christian, your boss, your manager should never have to question whether you are going to do something that they asked you to do. And they shouldn't have to question whether you're going to do what they asked you to do the right way. That's what it means to be submissive to those who are over us. Now, before we start throwing out the excuses, well, you don't know my manager <laughs> or my boss can be a real jerk, I want you to jump over with me back to 2 Peter chapter two where I asked you to maybe just make a marker. Peter ch- or 1 Peter, excuse me, First Peter chapter two in verse nine. This is an important parallel passage for us to consider. We don't have time to unpack all of it But I think it'll make sense to you as we read through this together. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this, you are a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Should be an amen after that, I think. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or among the unbelieving world honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That is so similar to what we talked about last week where Paul instructs Timothy that those who accuse you would be made fools of. That's the idea. But notice verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by them to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now you may wonder, why did I start so early? because we have to understand who we are. We have to understand that we're a chosen race, we're a royal priesthood. This is why he gives the instruction that follows. And so now he says, servants be subject to your masters with all respect and not only to the good and the gentle but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And neither was there deceit that was found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. And when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you've now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Servants, be subject to your masters. Follow the example of Jesus. You may have a terrible manager. They may mistreat you. They may revile you. They may threaten you. But you can, in that moment, entrust yourself to the one who judges righteously. That's the example that Jesus sets for us by his own death And we have to understand this within this context even of what Peter's arguing that that being submissive, we're being submissive to where God has placed us. We're being submissive and entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. That's a reference to the Father and His sovereign will and His sovereign hand at work in our lives. These are the people He sovereignly placed in your life and you in theirs as well so if you find yourself in a position a place of employment and you're unable to be submissive to your boss maybe it's an ethical dilemma Uh, maybe it does come down to a personality thing and you recognize over time that this isn't going to work then it's time to find a new boss if you can't live in submission and be a light that Christ has called you to be in that circumstances. If the boss asks you to violate biblical commands, you're obligated to follow the Lord in those matters. I know we have some in the room where bosses have asked you in recent weeks to, to violate commands of your conscience. And you've made choices there to entrust yourself to the one who judges justly in those particular circumstances. But listen, if you, if you have a track record of struggling to get along with managers and bosses, the problem is, is not more than likely the boss's problem. It's probably an inability, a struggle in you with being humble and, and being submissive and being able to take instructive orders from others. So what does this look like? What does it look like to be submissive to masters? Or what does it look like maybe to not be submissive to masters? Let me give you just a few ideas here. You know, maybe it's long lunches. This will come up again. Maybe maybe you just say no. Maybe they say, hey, can you do this project? No, I can't do that. Maybe it's being disagreeable. It's delayed or partial obedience in completion of a task. You don't do it by the time they wanted you to do it or you don't do it the way they wanted you to do it. Maybe an inappropriate level of decision-making and you undermine their authority. Don't be the person who rallies the group together to, to to form a petition against the boss before going to them particularly and individually with problems. It may be facial expressions, body gestures, posture, things you show in your outer man that say, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. Second thing we see here, Christ's followers in the workplace must strive to be well-pleasing. You know what that is? That is to be excellent in the work that you do. Uh, uh, As we serve our employers, uh, we must never forget that we are ultimately serving our Savior. Whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord, Paul writes to the Colossians. Your job is not simply a means to an end. Your job is an act of worship every day. How will you serve your Savior today by doing these things? Let's say tomorrow you show up at work and instead of the manager on duty being Barbara, it's Jesus. How would your day be different if Jesus was your manager? If he was the one supervising you, if he was the one who was giving you the same same commands and instruction that Barbara would give, you would do your best. I would think so. You, you, You wouldn't Maybe chat with the others as much. There'd be less horseplay involved in the day, potentially. No shortcuts, better quality work. You wouldn't complain about your boss, even though I'm still pretty good about complaining about Jesus sometimes throughout the day and the week. You'd prioritize what's best, what's better. You'd be diligent. So what then is our motivation to do work that's well-pleasing, to do work that is excellent? Is it wrong to want to raise Is it wrong for us to do good work because we want to please our bosses? We want to make them proud? Maybe we do work that's well-pleasing because we recognize in doing so uh, it alleviates my coworkers' responsibilities and that's well-pleasing. That's loving my neighbor. I've worked jobs where I thought, man, I wish you guys would pull your weight because I don't like pulling it all the time. We want to be that kind of person Here's a helpful answer by MacArthur. He says this, he says, it's not wrong to work hard, do excellent work, seek to please our employer in order to advance in a company and increase our income. In the right spirit, those motivations are legitimate. But they should never be the Christian's highest objectives. Above all else, far above all else, should be the sincere desire, even on the job, to do that which is pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. That's the goal well-pleasing to him. You know, in Matthew 25, uh, we find that, that parable that Jesus shares of the talents. And it's the one where the, the master, he's going away and he, he puts different servants in charge of different aspects, he gives one talent to one and three to another and five to another. And the guy with one, you may remember, he, he buries it in the ground and doesn't really do anything. And when the master comes back, what does he say to that guy? You're a wicked servant you don't know me at all but the other guys they they utilized those talents they invested they 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 spread they continued to share it grew and what does the lord say to them well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a few things i'm going to make you ruler over many things and so enter into the joy of your lord you know we tend to think of that scene in only ministry related terms well, I teach the kids, and because I teach the kids, I do a good job there. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or I cleaned the church building. Or, or I gave cans of fruit to people helping people. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the reality, the truth applies just as much to your job at the factory, to the work you do on a job site, in your office, wherever that would be. We should end our day expecting to hear from the Savior, Well done good and faithful servant, been faithful over the things that I've left you to do. Third, Christian employee must not be argumentative, or they should not speak against their employers. In our day of of self-centeredness, self-elevation, being argumentative, I mean, it almost just seems like a way of life for people, doesn't it? Social media has only exasperated this for us because we can disagree over anything. And many Christians get caught in the cycle of this as well. The prohibition doesn't refer to taking a stand for your convictions, uh, for, for what, what we believe to be right and proper and God honoring, but rather taking stands for our own self interest, for our own preferences. So, what are some ways we might be argumentative? You know, talking down about our employers, our managers. Sarcasm that goes too far. I think of this one that that I've struggled with sometimes in the past. Making the argument, we've always done it this way. Why are you changing this? You know, I've I've been in that situation before where I was the one, why are you changing this again? And, And sometimes, after time, that change, I'm like, oh, I see why you changed it. Other times, they realize, okay, that wasn't a good change, and they may change it back, they may not. Addressing the employee with an inappropriate agenda. There's all sorts of ways that we can be argumentative, even going back to our, our facial expression, our body language, asking questions in an inappropriate way, listening to gossip, engaging in that in the workplace. There's biblical instruction regarding how we approach when there's concerns. Is there going to be conflict and are there going to be issues in a place of work? Yeah. There's people involved. Are managers and bosses and employers going to make bad decisions? Yeah, they are. But there's biblical ways to go about addressing those things. There's approaching in biblical means. Think about Ephesians chapter four and all that it says about the way we're to communicate, being honest in our communication, attacking problems and not people, keeping current on those things. We need to ask questions like this when it's time to address those things with those in management above us. Is my timing right? Am I dealing here with facts or opinions? Is this just my own preference, or is this, uh, or is this something that's a legitimate concern? Be aware of not ganging up and uh, being the leader that gangs up on those in front of you. Be solution-oriented with humility. Fourth, the Jesus follower must not be pilfering. Uh, We do not use this word very often at all. To pilfer is to put aside for oneself. It's to misappropriate. It's the idea of stealing. Think of Achan in the Old Testament story where they went into Jericho and Achan took some of the things for himself that were not his, and he hid them. You know, because household stewards and business managers in the New Testament, they were frequently slaves that were left in charge of the estate, of the masters, and they had considerable opportunity to misappropriate and to use those things for their own benefit. It could be money or food or jewelry, other valuables that were entrusted to their care. And the same is true in modern-day employment. Many of you are entrusted with things that are of value. May, may be tangible things, maybe finances that you care and keep for. It, it may be information that you have that's been entrusted to you in your particular position. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias, Sapphira, and the whole church learned how seriously God takes this particular matter. Ananias and Sapphira were found guilty of pilfering what belonged to the Lord. And they gave their lives for it. And the church learned a lesson that particular day that we are to give to God what is God's. We are not to abuse these things. How might we be prone to pilfer? Coming in late, leaving early. I'm not saying that's never, you know, the alarm doesn't go off right or traffic's there, but if it's a habit, if it's a regular occurrence, Maybe it's, I I could say I've struggled with this in certain places of employment. Uh, Maybe it's uh, actionably I don't don't start early enough. (laughs) I'm there to clock in, but I finish my day early or I start my day late because I've got other things that I'm doing, talking to people and so forth. Doing personal things on company time when your focus should be there using company supplies for your own benefit, cutting corners on quality. It could be something as serious as the misappropriation of funds. You have access to petty cash. You can cheat things, you can change lines and sales information, falsify data. Because we must strive to be above reproach in every way but especially being honest with those things that have been entrusted to us. Be trustworthy. Finally, as Christians, we should be showing all good faith. This is the last qualification that he gives. This this means to be loyal, to be a loyal employee. The Christian employee is not to leave his loyalty in doubt. He's to give ample evidence of it. We do this by doing all that we've already considered. Show your loyalty by, by being honest, by not stealing things. Once again, we think of being faithful, we often compartmentalize that within the church or maybe even within our family unit. But here, we see a very clear command to be faithful, to be loyal in our places of employment. Let me just ask you to think in your own mind How would you describe a loyal employee? How would you describe an employee who's faithful? Then be that. Be that. Live up to that standard. And then once again, we come to the purpose of the matter. It it isn't just, hey, I'm going to give you a list of things that you need to do this week. No, there's a purpose behind it. Why are we to strive to live according to these standards and qualifications? Throughout this whole section in chapter 2, Paul has offered reasons and and purposes to back up his reasons in these lists. He said to young women, uh, you need to live this way so that the word of God isn't maligned. And to Titus, so that others who make accusations against you will be proved wrong." Here in verse 10, we find the reason that Christian employees are to be submissive, they're to be well-pleasing, they're not to be argumentative, they're not to be thieves, they're to be faithful. He says, do these things. Why? So that in everything, they or you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What an incredible statement. When you do these things, you adorn yourself with the doctrine of our Savior. When we live out these character qualities in front of the watching world, we are adorning and displaying our doctrine, our beliefs to them. You know, we've said it this way many times as we even moved into this. Our beliefs affect the way we behave. And it works backwards too. Right, that's what he's saying now at the end. He opens with, you need sound doctrine in verse one. And now as he's bringing this argument to a close, he says, no, your behavior proves your beliefs. And it shows people what you believe. You want to show people that Jesus is Lord? You want to show people that Jesus gives hope and life and peace? Then live out these qualities in your life. The, the word adorn here is from the Greek word kosmeo, which we get our word cosmetics from, to adorn. Um, one commentator writes it this way, says, the vast array of substances, both natural, artificial, that men and, w- uh, men and women use to make themselves more physically attractive. And the root idea of the term is that, uh, that of arranging something in proper order, and it gives it symmetry or, or comeliness or beauty, in the ancient times, it was used of arranging jewels in a brooch or in a crown or a necklace in the best way to display those particular jewels. That we might display the excellencies of him. Adorning our doctrine so that others might see him. You know, it was a few weeks ago, Brian Barry, um, our newest missions partner to Ireland, challenged us here to be those who show our faith and those who tell our faith. We need to speak it, but we also need to show it and live it. And right here, we see clear instruction regarding showing Jesus to others. Some of you may work in places, like I've worked in places in the past, where your boss, your employee, they don't want you talking about religion. They don't want you bringing Jesus into the conversation because As I can understand, that can cause some distractions and some fights and some contention that would exist in the workplace. And you may be in that situation where they don't want you to do that. And you may get fired if you do that. But I tell you what, no boss in his right mind would fire a person who is showing these qualities that are listed here. Loyalty, work that's excellent. They're not argumentative. They're not gossiping. They're not spreading slander about others. They do the job. They do the job right. You can show your faith. You can show the light of Christ every day with what you do, even without the opportunity to tell it. What do we see from other places in Scripture? What do we see from other experiences? In life. What happens is people become curious, <laughs> and they begin to ask questions. Why are you so content with this? Everybody else is freaking out about this change, but you're okay with it. Ah, yeah. Let's get some coffee afterwards. I'll tell you. I got a peace. I can trust God through this. I'm doing this as I do it under the Lord. That's work. I get it, it's not typically, it's not always fun. Thanks to the curse. You understand work was around before sin came into the picture. They weren't just lounging around on chairs. Adam and Eve were instructed to take care of the garden. But what happened when sin came in? Well, it got a little harder, didn't it? He said thorns and thistles are gonna grow now. It's gonna be more difficult. There's gonna be a resistance in you. There's gonna be a resistance in nature against this. And so I get it, it's not always fun to go into work and there may be other days that are more exciting than others depending on what you get to do that day or what you have to do that day. But when we begin to realize that our work and the way that we do our work is a means of shining the light of Jesus to the world around us and it takes on a whole new perspective, doesn't it? It's not just about me coming in today so I can earn a paycheck or have health insurance for my family or whatever other reason may be there. I go to work to share the light and the love of Jesus with my bosses, with my managers, with the coworkers who I work next to, with the customers that I deal with. That's my calling, that's my responsibility to shine the light of Jesus to these people. I don't work where you work. I don't interact with the people you interact with. And and most would say the same. Some of you may work together a little bit or occasionally. But I don't get to interact with those people. I don't get to be Jesus to those people. You're called to be that. And so we remember this, that our attitude matters. Your attitude matters every day. Your actions matter. The way you work And remember this, as I was just making that point. We are the body of Christ. Jesus doesn't work on your job site. Jesus doesn't manage your team. Jesus isn't the one who's going to unjam the copier again. But he's put you where he's put you, to represent him. To be the light that others need to see. And so as martyred missionary Jim Elliott said, and I think it was even William Carey who said it before him, wherever you are, be all there. And if I could modify it a little bit for this point, wherever you are, be Jesus there. Be the light because of you, this is how we shine as lights in the darkness. This is how we point others so that our Father is glorified and display his excellencies to the world around us. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me for just a moment here. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. I want you to think about a couple of things, though, here. I just want to give you a couple practical things. Are there communication habits that need to change in you? Is your communication less than biblical? Is it less than what Jesus would want for you? Maybe now is the time to confess and repent and say okay, I've got to work on this particular area. Are there people in in your office, in your sphere of work that you need to forgive? You're holding bitterness against them and it's affecting everything. You hate going there because you need to forgive. Maybe for some of you it's just a commitment to write some scripture on a card and take it and set your phone alarm and remind yourself at every point you can throughout the day of what Jesus calls you to be to the people that he calls you to be it to. I'm going to give you a moment to pray and then I'll pray for us. But in this silence, let the Spirit work. Father, help us not to squander the many opportunities you give us. To be Jesus, to shine the light of Jesus to the darkness around us. I pray specifically today as we've understood this instruction that we would all be quality, spirit filled, workers, co workers, employees, employers. God, that the way in which we conduct our business would point people to the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that we have because of Christ. I pray like Melissa shared earlier that we would have and seize the opportunities that you give us to speak of the glory of redemption that we know in Christ. God, help us to shine his lights in the darkness because there is no shortage of darkness around us. There's no shortage of families who are grieving, families who sin, addiction, is tearing apart, people who are just struggling and barely hanging on in life, people who are hungry. And you've put us where you've put us to reach those very people. Help us to trust you in that. And help us to do the ministry that you've called us to do. In the workplace, out of the workplace, in the home, out of the home, in the church, out of the church. Wherever we are, God, would you help us to be all there. We pray this in Jesus' name.